Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I've got such a huge, huge burden for marriages. There are a few things in Scripture that God uses to represent the kingdom of God, his way of doing things. Um, And marriage is one of those. Um, The body of Christ is actually referred to in many instances as the bride of Christ. And that relationship that we have with God, that we're going to have with God one day. Scripture is very symbolic and very illustrative of that that relationship. So I want to talk a little bit today about marriage. It's in the season. It's in the, the Valentine spirit um, and talk to that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that in a very different way, and probably in a way that you would least suspect it, um, at least from our passage of scripture, but let me say this to start. I know in our room here today that there are those that have many different feelings and emotions that come when I say marriage. Um, some of us, like myself, are products of broken marriage. Um, some of us have an amazing marriage. Some of us have parents that are married, and it's been amazing. Some of us are no longer married. But regardless, scripture places a high priority on marriage. So I'm going to do my job as a pastor today and elevate marriage for the relationship that it is. And I hope today you'll be encouraged and inspired regardless of where you find yourself um, as you feel this word um, marriage. I was was selfish before I was married. Anybody else in the room? You You were selfish? How many of you didn't realize how selfish you were until you got married? Yeah. And how many of you realized how real selfish you were when you started having kids? Yeah, I'm still fine. It is hard to keep my marriage second. You think, keep your marriage second. I'm going to get there. Listen to me. I'm going to jump into a passage of scripture that you've probably never heard in a marriage sermon. Um, but it's going to pick up right where we left off a few weeks ago in the book of Acts, chapter 4. I'm going to read through 4, and I'm going to read a few verses into 5. And we're going to set, set the tone today for our conversation about marriage. Acts 4.32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Talking about the brand new church. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're going to go into chapter 5, verse 1, next chapter, but the same story. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. 
and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, the last one I'm going to read of this passage. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The moral of this story, don't lie in church, folks. Don't, don't, don't lie in church. You may say, Pastor Don, this has to be the most morbid marriage sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. Where in the world are you headed with this. Those that study sociology and economics have, this, have observed this phenomenon, and here's what it's called. It's called conspicuous consumption. And here's the definition. It's when we buy things to show others so that we can appear to be at a certain social status. Mm, yeah. I remember growing up in high school, I had this desire. All of my friends had these puffy starter jackets. Some of you may know what I'm talking about back in the 90s, and I had to have one. I had to have one. I I lived in Texas in the 90s. If you lived in Texas, you were automatically a Cowboys fan. And so I think I even have a picture. This is the jacket that I absolutely had to have. Um, And and I I harassed my mom and said, Mom, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to get picked on at school if I don't have this jacket. I came up with all kinds. I had to have this jacket. This jacket was $90. You can buy them on eBay for like $235. That jacket right there, can you imagine that? It's just crazy. And yet I just thought I had to have this jacket. I could not show my face at school. If I, there were kids wearing starter jackets. It's 90 degrees outside and they're wearing these jackets. It don't, it don't make any sense at all. But listen, how many of you know this is not just a teenager thing? It's not at all just a teenager thing. Uh, baby clothes? Let me help you, folks. Those babies don't care what they're wearing. They're going to poop on it, spit up on it, outgrow it. Please, please don't put your babies in designer clothes. Um, they just don't, don't see that. Y'all are laughing. We do this with our vehicles too, don't we? Mm, yeah, spending more on that vehicle note than you are your house payment. We do that. It's just this thing. We, 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 we do this. Uh, we go on elaborate vacations, because everybody else is, and we want to make sure we have that picture of our family by the beach. We don't even like the beach, um, but we want to make sure that we have that picture so that we can put on our social media accounts. Here's a more popular way. This has been said many times. I couldn't even find the original author. Author, Look at this. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need in order to impress people we don't even like. And what you just witnessed was a nervous laugh from the crowd because it just hit home. <laughs> really there. How many of you want to blame social media for something like that? Yeah, You can't. This has been around for quite some time. In 1913, a man, my, a man named Arthur Pop Mormon actually created a comic strip of a couple who lived in an affluent part of the country 
And the whole comic strip was based around their struggles to keep up and to show themselves on par or of the same status as their very social elite neighbors. And this whole comic strip aired for like 27 years and everything was about them trying to spend money or trying to do things so that they could fit in with the couple next door. Anybody want to take a guess what the couple next door's name was? Joneses. And thus we have keeping up with the Joneses. It was an actual comic strip that ran for 27 years, syndicated on like 150 newspapers um, as part of their regular publication. And the phrase keeping up with the Joneses became synonymous with the person who feels the pressure to do something that is beyond their means in order to give the outward appearance that it is within their means. And many of us still struggle with that today, don't we? Before we go too far down this road, I want to take us back to the passage, share a couple of things, highlight a few things we see before I jump into our conversation about marriage. And you have to know the context. Christianity had just exploded onto the scene with the resurrection of Jesus and the disciples' lives being changed inside out. But what was really causing Christianity to explode was this lavish generosity that was flowing all about. Let's look back at our passage, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. The group of followers, meaning all the Christians, all felt the same way about everything. None of them claimed that their possessions were their own, and they shared everything they had with each other. In a powerful way, the apostles told everyone that the Lord Jesus was now alive, and God greatly blessed his followers. Look at this. And no one went in need of anything. Everyone who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles. Then they would give the money to anyone who needed it. Look at those phrases that I've highlighted there. They felt the same way. That's, that's an inside change that it happened. But they also shared everything. That's an outward expression that we see that had taken place. And in an environment, in a society like this, let me help you, there is no pride, there is no poverty, there is no prejudice. It's not socialism, it's generosity. Were there some people that had more than others? Answer? Yes. Certainly they did. I think it was John Wesley that said the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. And you see something happens to how you view your possessions when you realize and fully understand that you yourself have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. You're willing to give and to share when you fully comprehend how much was given to you. And the more they understood inwardly, the more it started to show themselves outwardly. The more they understood inwardly, the more they started to show itself outwardly. But let me help you. God doesn't expect us to behave right in order to be right. Scripture is very clear on this. God gives us a new identity on the inside, and it's out of that identity that our behavior changes. It's not the other way around. If you try to do it backwards, you're going to mess it up. You, it's not outside behavior that changes inward nature. It's inward nature change that affects outward behavior. How many of you are following me in this? I'm going to show you this in Scripture. This is Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5. So, so then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how he once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded to Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. 
And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us, look at this, this ministry of reconciling others to God. Christianity is an inside-out change, not an outside-in change. God changes us on the inside and then we act out accordingly. And almost suddenly, Christianity spread out of the change that was taking place in their hearts and people started to give inward to outward. It's a kind of generosity that really got the world, took the world by storm. It was this inside out generosity, this I want to, not the outside end behavior that says I have to. That's the context. That's what we're in. That's what's happening in this society. You're seeing Christianity is exploding and these people are coming to Jesus by the droves. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. And I want you to understand what, what, this, what this couple did that was so dangerous and so offensive to God. Look at this. They thought that if they had the outward behavior, they could have the inward obedience. If we could just look good on the outside, if we could just do what everybody else is doing, then it will show to everybody that God has done on the inside what he's done to all of them. And they missed it. They missed it. It's, it's like somehow giving or generosity became the it thing. Those Christian people that I so desperately want to be like, they, they gave and they, they're giving abundantly and lavishly. And no doubt for some, there was some pressure to be like everyone else, to keep up with the Christian Joneses. Still kind of like that today, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard being in this society, the pressure to appear to be like everyone else, to have what everyone else has or to at least appear that we have like what everybody else has. Thank you, social media, or what I'll affectionately call social bleedia because it's bleeding us dry. It's bleeding our marriages. It's bleeding our families. It's killing us. Social comparison is killing us. You've heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. I've heard all kinds, yeah, the grass is greener on the other side because that's where they're watering it. Let me help you. The grass is greener on the other side because that's where the cows poop. (laughs) And be careful trying to go gallivanting in that greener grass because you might step into something that you don't know is there until you get in the middle of it. Yet we find our marriages trying to compete. And here's what was so amazing in this story. Ananias and Sapphira did give. It's not like they showed up in church and the offering bucket passed them by and they breathed their last. They gave. They gave. So why did they die, Pastor Don? Was it because they didn't give it all? Yes, and we're going to pass the offering right now. No, listen. Watch this. Look at what Peter tells them in Acts chapter 5, verse 4. This is what Peter said. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And when you sold it, Was it not at your disposal? The issue was not that. They didn't have to sell and they didn't even have to give it when they did sell. What was the issue? See, this isn't a story about giving. There's a danger in trying to get credit for giving yourself fully to God while keeping something back for yourself. And that's the challenge. They wanted their marriage to look like everyone else is on the outside, but it wasn't like everybody else is on the inside. And it cost them the very marriage they were trying to show off. They weren't deceiving everyone else. They were deceiving themselves. Listen to me, church. God wants us to have an inside-out marriage 
where out of the abundance of the health inside, we act and express and behave outwardly. And I think there are too many people today trying to have an outside in marriage, thinking that if we do what everybody else is doing on the outside, that we get to have what everybody else has on the inside, and it doesn't work. Divorce is at an all-time high. Families are dividing. We're in debt. We're too busy, and we're losing our kids because we're trying to do everything from the outside in instead of the way God intends us to live from the inside out. Are you following me? And if we're not careful, we'll lose our marriages and our relationships with God. And Christians will be no longer part of the solution, but we'll be part of the problem as well. Because we're doing it backwards. Scripture gives us this priority in scripture, it's, it's, there's, there's a sequence. It's very intentional. Don't miss this. Look, God created man. God created woman. God joined them together. God gave them children. And then he said, live as an example for others. That's the priority. And here's the challenge. This is, well, this is what this means. My life with God will feed my life with my spouse. And my life with my spouse will provide for my life with my kids. And my Kids, my life with my kids will demonstrate my life as an example for others to follow. You see that? Scripture gave us that order of creation in reason because it's supposed to be that way. But we get it backwards. We, we, if you do it backwards, if you try to work yourself from the bottom, put that slide back up. If you try to work yourself from the bottom up, you try to be that example. Here's what the world wants us to do. Listen. If I try to be an example by doing what everybody else is doing, well, that's going to cause me to put my kids first because that's what everybody else around here is doing. It's not just a problem with a single single child family. It's a problem with multiple children in the family. I try to live my life like everybody else. It's going to cause me to put my kids first. And if I put my kids first, that puts my marriage last. And if I put my marriage last, I'm going to struggle in my relationship with God because he didn't intend for the priority of things to be that way. There's, there's a priority to this. There's a, there's a common illustration on priorities that's going around. You may have seen it. Um, Stephen Covey made it, made it famous. It's, a, it's about a glass jar. You've heard this, right? They're big rocks, they're smaller rocks, they're sand. And when you try to put all the sand in first and then you try to put the smaller rocks in and when you try to put the big rocks in, it doesn't fit. I've got a picture. You do the illustration, you put the sand in first and the small rocks in the big, it doesn't fit. But if you'll put the big rocks in first and then pour in the small rocks, they shift in the gaps and then you put in the sand and it fills in everything else. And then it's supposed to make your life work because everything can now fit in the jar. I don't know. It sounds great, but I find that when I talk to couples and when I talk to to families, it doesn't quite translate into life and marriage and family and ministry. And listen, there are too many godly struggling marriage with kids trying to make it all fit. Listen, there's just too much out there. There's too many options. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't all fit. You can't do everything. Every option that's out there, you can't do it. It it won't fit, but we try and we try and we try. And in our world today, you can't just prioritize by putting things in the right order. You have to prioritize by saying yes to some things and saying no to other things. That's the only way to do it. Saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. Saying no to something means you now get to say yes to something 
else. That's how you prioritize marriage. And having a priority marriage is demonstrated not just by what you say yes to, but also by what you say no to as well. I was having a conversation uh, with a couple recently, and th- this, this question came out of my mouth. Is your relationship with God number one? I said, well, of course, yes. I said, prove it. Prove it. What things are you saying yes to and what things are you saying no to that actually demonstrate your personal, individual relationship with God is the most important thing in your life? You have to have them. If God is number one in your life, and he should be, you should be able to look across the spectrum of the things you say yes to and the things you say no to. There should be some proof there. You should be able to demonstrate that. What are you saying, Pastor Don? I'm saying let your yeses and your noes prove that God is first. Let your yeses and your noes prove it. Listen, if you want to have a regular, growing, devotional life, say yes to getting out of bed early. Well, you don't understand, Pastor Don. I, I, I have a hard time because, well, okay. Then say yes to getting out of bed early. Well, say no to going to bed so late that you can't get out of bed early. If you'll say no to, going, to staying up late, it'll be easier to say yes to getting up early and you'll have some time to put into and develop. If God is first in your life, it should translate. You should be able to prove it by the things you say yes to and the things you say no to, but because I love you and I'm your pastor, I'm gonna help you. If you have a hard time getting out of bed early in the morning, and you have a hard time going to bed early, do this, go to bed 30 minutes early, wake up 15 minutes earlier. For every 15 minutes, double it and go to bed that much earlier. You wanna get out of bed an hour earlier? Go to bed two hours early. Say, Pastor Don, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just gonna sit in bed and just like stare up at the sky. No, if you'll get out of bed early, you'll be tired by the time that bedtime rolls around. But you're not tired at night because you're not getting up early. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you. Some of you know, I wanna get out of bed early. Listen, put away the phones. Put away the phones. That's my alarm clock. I'll give you 20 bucks to go buy an alarm clock so you don't have the temptation of having your phone there and Wordle and Angry Birds and all the other things that we're, that we're doing. Listen, if you want your relationship with God to be first, let your yeses and your noes demonstrate it. Let it prove it. Use your gifts and your talents to, be in ch- to, to serve others and be in church. God is for, he's given you gifts. He's given you talents. And the world isn't seeing them because you're not in church. You're not serving them every day. Listen, some kids don't want to be in church when they're older because their parents didn't want to be when their kids were young. And that, that, it's hard. And listen, I know our kids every Sunday morning, Cole, Madeline, Avery, 12, 9, and 7, set their alarms and get up at 6 a.m. They dress themselves, they feed themselves, and when I get ready to leave at seven o'clock to come to be here, they're ready to go fired up and anxious and they come to church and they are mad as all get out if they oversleep and don't get to come early with dad. I love, I, I love, I wish I could tell you I did something intentional or that I'm threatening them with screen time or with Xboxes if they don't get up and do all this. The truth is they want to be in church because they see Kayla and I want to be in church. 
Kayla and I love the church and we fall in love with the things our parents fall in love with. Some of you love baseball because your daddy did. What you give your life to, people, your children will fall in love with. It's not an overflow of my parenting. You have to. It's an overflow of my relationship with God. I get to. It's important we understand that. But listen, for our family, we say no to every Sunday sports and travel activities that keep us from church. We have to say no so we can say yes to that. You say, oh, well, pastor, you're the pastor. No, I'm their father. That's why we say no to those things. We say no to late night Saturday events and activities that make it hard to wake up on Sunday morning because we want to demonstrate and we want our yeses and our noes to prove that God is first. We say no to music, shows, movies, and friends that draw our thoughts and affections away from God throughout the week so that it's not so hard to overcome all of that and have our hearts and our minds and affections focused on God when we're here on Sunday. You don't have to wait through the first two songs to really press into the presence of God. It can start when you wake up on Sunday morning. It can start on Saturday. It can be there all week long as you're prioritizing and saying yes to things, not just no. Is your relationship with your spouse number two? Prove it. Let your yeses and your noes prove that marriage is second. Say yes to date nights. Say yes to couch time when the kids aren't around and it's just you two focused talking on each other, about each other. Pray together. What do you do when you first get home? Who do you greet? You greet the kids? I make a beeline. My kids, they run faster than their mama does. They're with me first and say, hey baby, I love you. But I go and I find Kayla wherever she's at and I kiss her and I love her and I embarrass my kids with how gross it is. I love it. They know I'm a hug mama. Grab her backside. I love you. I missed you all day. Heaven forbid she's doing the dishes or bending over the dishwasher when I walk through the kitchen. <laughs> Watch it, she says. Well, I was. That's why I know how to. How, how to I love embarrassing my kids. We have this thing. We'll hug and embrace in the kitchen and they try to get in between us and we won't let them. We stand so close and we tell them this, you'll never be able to come between mommy and daddy. And they try and they love it and I get bigger smiles on their faces when I'm embarrassingly loving on their mama than when I do when they have my undivided attention. I'm telling you, I gotta keep my marriage second how do we do that? It's not just what we say yes to, it's what we say no to also. We say no to arguing in front of our children. Why? Because I want them to know I value and appreciate and respect her. I'm not gonna diminish her, demoralize her, or try to prove a point in the middle. We say no to, talk, to taking sides. The number of times we have been talking about an issue and we have stopped the conversation and got shoulder to shoulder and said, here's the problem, we're on the same team. Sometimes you have to get off the couch and go sit next to your wife to talk about the thing you're talking about so it doesn't feel like there's a division between the two of you. We say no to taking sides. We also say no to things in the budget so we can afford a regular date night. Oh, we'd love to do some of the things that all y'all are doing on social media. 
I just can't. Because I need her to be second. I need her to be second. We had a friend, I have a friend, probably one of my best friends. Um, he, he recently moved uh, to Austin, so I don't get to see him much anymore. His name is Mark. And uh, we were married probably about seven, eight years ahead of Mark. And I remember um, the night before his marriage, his wedding, we were, we were talking. Um, I was a groomsman in his wedding. And he asked me this question. I had a couple kids by now. I was in ministry. I had, had a marriage. And, and he asked me this question. He said, Don, how, how do you do it? How, how, do you, how do you do it? I said, how do I do what? He said, you got a great marriage. You're, you're in full-time ministry. And and I still see you spend time with your kids and, and with family. And how do you do it? I don't know how I'm going to do it. All. It's hard enough being in ministry single and keeping up with my friends. And now I'm about to bring a wife into this. And I know she's got to come before all these other things. And eventually we'll have kids. Don, how do you do it? And it was one of those things you just weren't really prepared to answer. I had never really thought about it. And it, it, I, I'm sure you've had this before where you kind of give an answer and as you're giving it, you realize, man, this is the Holy Spirit in the moment. And I need to remember this because he's speaking wisdom to me that I didn't know I had in the moment. And this is what I told him. I said, I, I, just, I just blend it all together, man. So what do you mean? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how to have ministry and be married and have a family with kids and, and have friends all separately. I, I have to do it together. I, I have to be friends with the people I do ministry with. I, my family has to be involved in the ministry that we do. If you can't be part of my family, we can't be friends. If, if, if you're not involved in ministry, I don't have time for my family to be around you. I have to blend them all together. That's the only way I know how to do this. And some of us, I think, are struggling trying to have a relationship with God, trying to have a godly marriage, trying to be good parents, trying to keep friends that we know we leave, and wondering why we can't be involved in ministry. There's not, it doesn't all fit. Let me tell you, it's not supposed to. Blend it all together. Why am I so passionate about you being involved in groups? Because those are friends that are passionate about ministry the way you are. Why am I so excited about you guys being here and bringing your kids to church? Because you don't have to separate those buckets on Sunday morning. Why do I want you to have a date night with your wife? Because that's the best way to minister to your children. Number one question kids have is not whether mommy and daddy loves me. It's just daddy love mommy. Does mommy love daddy? You want to provide some security for your children? Be embarrassingly affectionate with your spouse. My kids see the way I interact with other ladies. And I'm hugging, kissing on cheeks, all that. But they see the way I'm affectionate toward their mama. And they know there's a stark difference. That's my ministry to my family is how I keep my wife number two. Can I just tell you, it's hard. It's a regular struggle. We don't always do it perfectly. But listen, that priority, I have to keep reminding myself, my life with God will feed 
my marriage. My marriage will serve my kids. My kids and my family will be an example to my ministry. I have to keep them in the right priority or it doesn't work. And if you're struggling today, keeping marriage a priority, I wonder if you've got it backwards. I wonder if you're trying to live as if you're an example on the outside, but you don't have the right priorities on the inside. Just last week, Avery, my, my seven-year-old, is very athletic. Um, he's got some natural talent and aptitude when it comes to baseball, uh, more so than his older brother. And uh, he's, he's seven now, and um, man, I try so hard to give him opportunities to explore that and to stay with that because I know he's, he's got some talent. Now, I'm not the guy that thinks my kids are going to play D1 ball or, you know, support me when they retire. It'd be great. Y'all pray for that. But the reality is I, I just want them to do something that they feel good at, that they enjoy, and that they're a part of. But I, we got to this, these baseball tryouts, the, the, the rec league starting up that he's a part of, and our schedule doesn't allow us to do travel ball and all of those different things. We just can't fit it all in. Remember, we talked about that. But I'm there and we show up and there's all these dads and all these boys that are playing and I see these dads out there and I know that they've spent hours and hours and hours and um, one particular dad I know has, has, has just one son and he's all in and his kid's amazing watching him play. Years ahead of all of this. And I struggle. I struggle. I took off early that day to go grab Avery. We set up the net so we could hit some balls off the tee. He hadn't touched a bat or a ball in weeks. And we threw the ball a little bit and we hit grounders and we get there and the tryouts are simple. They, they hit some pop flies and the kids catch them. They hit some grounders and they ground them and they make a throw to first and then they go to first and they catch them. I'm watching all this. And Avery's good for his age and he could be better. I mean, he could really be better if his dad would just devote a significant amount of time. Like, a whole lot of time. He'd be really, really good. Just as good, if not better, than the other travel boys that are out there on the field. And he gets up there, and they hit that pop fly, and he's, and he misses it. Oh, tagging him, come on, son. And then I looked, and I saw the smile on his face. He he just loves that he's out there with his boys. I called Kayla, middle of tryouts. Your dad's all around, walking, talking, gathering. And here I am on the phone. Hey, is everything okay? How's, how's the tryouts going? Tell me I'm choosing right. Please just tell me I'm choosing right. Because I'm just feeling a lot of pressure right now. You, you may not call your wives and have this conversation like that, but I do. I just feel like if I'd make more time, he'd be better. If I could just spend, is is he upset? No, he's having a blast. I'm the one struggling. I'm struggling. I know if I would just, please, just please tell me that I'm choosing right. Please tell me that it's okay. That I'm blending all of these things in because I, she said, you know, babe, When he's 30 years old and married, baseball's not going to help him with his marriage. When he wants his kids to be in church, there's not a drill, a skill set, or anything he can find on the diamond that's going to help him convince his children where they need to be. So 
said, I know. I just needed to hear it. I just needed to know that we were prioritizing correctly. That in the middle of this world and everything around me, I want to keep up with every Jones dad and every Jones kid out there. Because I know if I could just say yes to some things, but in order to say yes to those things, I'd have to say no to some other things. And I think that I've got the priority straight. I think that God is first. And I'm so in love with this house, so in love with church, so in love with ministry, so in love with serving you guys. It exudes into my other areas of life. I'm so in love with Kayla. Y'all think I have five kids because I like kids. That's not true. I like her. And I think if I'll just keep choosing correctly, that one will feed the other, will feed the other, will feed the other. Listen, I don't think living in priority means that if you put God first, marriage second, your kids and ministry, then activities, that you'll have enough to go around and do everything you want to do or that you see everybody else doing. I don't think it means that way. I think it means that if you give yourself fully to each of those in priority, each one will feed the next. And then whatever isn't met isn't meant for you. I want you to become so secure in your relationship with God. So secure in your marriage and the kind of relationship God wants you to have that your children can rest under the branches of that tree. Be shaded from every storm that would come their life. They could hold fast to you guys and know, I know my mama loves my daddy. And I don't know what's going on with my body. I don't know why my friends are being the way they're friends. But I know my mama and daddy know something. And I have my kids watch enough television to know there's a difference between the marriages they see on TV and the marriages they see in the kitchen. I just want that for you. I could care less if you keep up with the Joneses. Because there's some little kids running around your house that are wanting to keep up with you. If you're married today, I want to ask you to stand with your spouse, grab them by the hand. If you're not, grab both hands as if you were. This wasn't my idea, this was God's idea. He said, the best thing I can do to demonstrate the kind of relationship I want to have is to create a man and a woman and put them together in a unique way. A way scripture tells us where the two become one. He says, I want to use you as an example. I want to use this, and now more than ever in our society and in our world, social media is not going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. Television's not going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. Movie's not going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. The Joneses aren't going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. But you have an opportunity with that spouse get these priorities correct and to love them the way that Christ loved the church to honor and to respect them to submit to them to be on the same team 
and I want it so bad for you. Some of y'all are gonna get smacked in the backside walking through the kitchen today. I'm sorry, I just, I'm trying to help you marriage. And those of you that aren't seated, that aren't standing, I think it's one of the most godly and honorable things we can do to honor these marriages. God wants to use them and he wants to use them as an example. And I want to pray for you. And those of you that aren't standing, I want you to stretch your hands out towards somebody who is. Father, I thank you for these marriages. And I'm not so naive to assume that every single one of them is great. And I'm not so naive to assume that every single one of them is struggling. And I know in a room this size, there's probably everywhere in between. But I know, God, you know and that you see and that you are willing, waiting, and able to help them reprioritize. And I pray, Father, for the peace of God, the strength of God, the courage of God, the grace of God to come into every single marriage. Every marriage here today is a tree. And hanging from these branches are people and relationships and children. These marriages are providing shade. I pray you would help them nourish their marriage, that they would put it second only to you, God. I pray for each person here that they would fight, fight to make sure that they had an individual growing relationship with God. That's what feeds the marriage. These marriages that are struggling, they're not struggling because they're trying to keep up with everybody, God. They're struggling because you're not first. I pray you would show them, show them together. Let them see it so clearly, Holy Spirit, where the adjustment needs to be made. Their greatest contribution in life is not their children. It's their marriage. It's the example that they're showing their children. There's not a person in here with kids that doesn't want their kids to have an amazing marriage. I pray, God, you would give them a vision for their marriage so their kids could see that example. And I pray, Father, that you would surround them with other relationships, with other families, with other marriages that are like-minded and like-hearted. That through this priority, through keeping things second, they would see how much easier it is to do it your way. And I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, you may be seated, couples. I want to invite everybody to bow your head. Close your eyes. Keeping your marriage second is only possible when you put him first. One of the greatest gifts I bring my marriage is my individual growing relationship with Jesus. Where does that grace come when she's driving me nuts? It comes from Jesus. Where does that energy come when I don't have enough left? It comes from Jesus. Who do I find at the end of myself? Jesus. When I learned that I could be a conduit for God's love to my spouse, that his plan was for me to be able to love her with a love beyond myself that I could only access by having a relationship with him. 
here today and you say, Pastor Don, I want that kind of relationship. I want the kind of relationship with God that'll feed the other areas of my life, the other relationships in my life. I tell you it's as simple as ABC. If, if you can't see it, God hasn't done this work in your heart, you're still spiritually blinded, but if you see it, if you see A, that you need to admit that you're a sinner, that you choosing to do it for yourself, your own way with your own priority has separated you from a loving and holy God. You gotta admit it. And then B is believe. Believe that God was a giver and sent his son Jesus to live a life you couldn't live, to pay a price you couldn't pay, a debt that you had accumulated, to die a death that you didn't have to. It's belief. Believe that God sent Jesus just for you to help you, to restore your relationship with him. And then see, confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Not just the Savior part, it's the Lord part. It's the God, your way is better. I'm gonna do it in your priority according to your way. You're gonna be first in my life, God, and everything else is gonna come after. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I, I admit, I believe, and I confess, would you pray with me? You pray for me to be born again. I'm gonna invite you, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, nobody's looking around. I'm not trying to embarrass you, I'm trying to help you. If you're here and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me? I wanna invite you to raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying with today. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Just a few minutes left. I don't want to miss this part. Marriage won't work without an individual relationship with Jesus. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? One more time and then we're going to pray. Raise your hand if you'd like to be included in that prayer with us as we pray. Church, I'm going to ask everybody to pray with me, not just those that raise their hand, but all of us. Symbolic of the fact that nobody does Christianity alone. Would you repeat this after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate.